So we're back for part three, the final part of a little series called Kids. I really wouldn't mind having five more messages because I've really liked it and there's more I would want to say, but there are other topics we need to get to. So this is the third and the final. So far in the series, I've been speaking mainly to the whole church, whether you're single and don't have kids, whether you're young and hope one day to have kids, whether you're empty nesters and had kids, whether you're in the middle of raising kids, wherever you are, I've been trying to speak to the whole church so that we together can rightly value the kids whom the Lord has given us and rightly help and support the parents of our church to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I've been speaking to the whole church. Today I want to zoom in and speak more to the parents. So this is more for the parents. So let's go back to Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, take it apart a little bit. Notice it starts with, Behold. Now I know I read this in the first message in this little series, and I know I said this about the word behold, but I want to say it again. God doesn't start many verses in the Bible with the word behold. So when God says behold, that means you ought to behold. That's like pay attention, catch this, watch this, make sure you notice this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. The Lord Jesus told us that was John the Baptist. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord, what will he do? And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. He will turn fathers' hearts and kids' hearts. The word turn is the word for repentance. They'll turn. They'll repent. They were going one way. Now they'll go a different way. But it really means He'll turn their affections, their loves, their desires, their passions, their interests to their children, to their fathers. It's not what you would expect it to say. You would expect it to say, and he will turn the hearts of men to God. You'd expect it to say, and he will turn the hearts of children to God. Why doesn't it say to God? Why does it say to fathers and to children? Because one of the biggest fruits that happens in the life of a regenerated soul, somebody who has the Spirit of God dwelling within them, somebody who has the law of God written on their heart, one of the biggest fruits of that salvation is this. Your heart gets turned to your parents. Your heart gets turned to your kids. If you're a father who's following the Lord Jesus, you're a father who wants nothing more for your kids than that they too would know and follow the Lord Jesus. And that's why he talks about fathers to their children and children to their fathers. Now let me say this. One of the worst things that can happen to a society, one of the worst social effects of our sin, one of the worst manifestations of human fallenness is absent fathers distracted fathers, uninvolved fathers, non-committed fathers, not paying any attention fathers, AWOL fathers, fathers who did what they had to do to create a life and have never been involved with it any since then. One of the worst things that can happen is that because God says, if that happens, I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I come and strike the land 
with a curse. And in many ways and in many places, our land is suffering under that curse, especially in some of our cities. Here's some data. Nationally, 26% of our children reach age 17 without ever having a father in the home. That's 26%. That's way higher than it ever, 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 ever used to be. So it's a way, way, way bigger problem now. By the way, hats off to single moms. That's a lot of single moms. And God got nothing but respect for you single moms. Like, I don't know how you do it. What strength, what character, what diligence, what, you know, all that. Hats off to single moms. Bless you. We're not complaining about single moms. We're complaining about absent dads. And nationally, 26% of our kids never have a father in the home. In Baltimore and other cities, it's way worse. In Baltimore, 79% of kids are born with no father present and reach age 17 with no father present. 79%. We live in a stricken land. We live in a post-Christian land where fathers fail, where fathers refuse, where fathers deny, where fathers ignore, and all societal hell breaks loose. Now, what's wrong with our cities? What's the cause? Well, it's not simple. It's a complex system. There are many factors, no doubt. It would be easy, too easy to reduce it to one cause and say, this is the thing. But certainly high on a lot of people's lists is this, the absence of fathers, 79%. What does that do to a kid? Well, there's lots of data. I'll give you some. You've seen it. Without fathers... Kids are five times more likely to live in poverty. That's a 400% greater chance of being poor. And the downstream effects of that are ginormous. Without fathers, sons are five times more likely to get into crime. That's 400% more likely. Without fathers, daughters are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. Without fathers, kids are nine times more likely to drop out of school. Without fathers, sons are 20 times more likely to end up in jail. That's just ginormous. Here's a different way of putting the figures. This from the U.S. Department of Justice. 63% of youth suicides, no father. 90% of all homeless youth and runaway youth, no father. 85% of all children with behavioral disorders, no father. 71% of all high school dropouts, no father. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, no father. 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers, no father. 75% of rapists who seem to be motivated by displaced anger, no father. It's a curse on our land. How can we ever fix it? Certainly there are many things that need to be in place, and how can anybody ever get them all in place? So I don't want to oversimplify it, but certainly one very important factor in turning that all around would be the gospel. Biblical churches. Christians sharing their faith. And thus turning the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Certainly that would be one very important factor. Better than a bunch of other dumb things that are being suggested. Ponzi schemes presented by cultural con artists 
Here, this will fix it. No, it won't. What is needed is the gospel, biblical churches, fathers with hearts turned. One of the ministries that we're a part of, we support it every month. It's called Acts 29. One part, it's an international church planting agency. One part of Acts 29 is called Church in Hard Places. And they target, they focus on hard places. They're in Scotland and England, for example. And they target the, what do you call them, the apartment complexes that are government subsidized. What's the name? Yeah, the projects. That's it. Thank you. They target the projects. They move into the projects and start reaching the people in the projects. Start reaching the kids in the, progress, in, in the projects. Bless them for that. Our cities. That's why we were excited to plant Freedom Church in Baltimore. That's why we, with excitement, support Freedom Number 2 in Baltimore. And that's why we're thrilled that there's now a Freedom Number 3 in Baltimore, in West Baltimore, in a very tough area. Why plant the gospel down there? Why plant churches down there? Because they will turn the hearts of fathers to the children. But it's not just the cities. Let's come closer to home. Let's talk about your home. You're a father. And one of the things that happens when the Lord Jesus gets a hold of your heart, yes, he turns it to God, but one way we can see that that really happened is this. Your heart gets turned to your kids. And, and if you're a kid and you say, I'm a believer now, I've come to the Lord Jesus, one of the ways we can see, one of the things that happens is your heart gets turned to your father. Mine did. Now, my heart was pretty much always turned to my father because he was a sweet man. And I was in a very liberal home, and there weren't many rules to break, so I never got in trouble, and I liked pleasing my parents anyway. But when I became a believer, and my dad wasn't, when I became a believer, I wanted him to come to the Lord Jesus. And I thought, here's what I'll do. And I'd never even read Malachi, but I was like, here's what I'll do. I'll be the best son I can possibly be. So that he will like what Jesus Christ has done to me. A couple years later, my dad believed on the Lord Jesus and was saved. I'd like to think maybe that contributed. It's not just the cities, it's you, it's your home. Father, fathers, are you followers of the Lord Jesus? Then your hearts ought to be turned to your kids. Why doesn't why doesn't Malachi, why doesn't God through Malachi address mothers? Where are the mothers in the picture? Well, we don't know. I have a guess. This is a guess. The Bible doesn't say here's the reason why. But my guess is the mother's hearts are already turned to the kids. Right? I mean, God in nature sees to that. It's not just that men and women have different wiring in their brain. They do. You know that. The woman's brain is wired laterally from hemisphere to hemisphere, way more than men's brains with certain results. But it's, it's the chemicals. It's the chemicals, which are very different in the uterus and all down through life that incline you to different things, that produce different things in you, pr different likes, different dislikes, and so on. And women are inclined by oxytocin. When you have a baby in the belly, your brain is getting marinated in oxytocin. When you deliver that baby, your brain is getting bombarded with oxytocin. What is oxytocin? Is it is the bonding chemical. And it makes you love that baby. Right, moms? You're all about that baby. Like your mission in life is that baby from that point on. I know this is hard for some of you. You want a baby and God hadn't given it yet. I apologize. I'm sorry. Just hang in there with us, all right? We love you. We care for you. 
but that oxy, man, it turns you off. So the mother's hearts are turned to their children, but the kids need a dad with a heart turned to their children. By the way, there are strange and rare conditions where the mother's heart isn't turned. Uh, the Bible speaks of that. The Apostle Paul speaks of that. In one of his lists of what's wrong with the world, he says, without natural affection. He calls that natural affection. The woman ought to have natural affection for her kids. There are some cases where it isn't there. Debbie and I know a person. It's a relative, a distant relative. And a mother gave birth to a son. We know them both. And the mother immediately did not like the child, was not pleased in the child, didn't want the child, but she kept it. That son is older than me now by a little bit, and he's a mess. He was scarred by that. He was marked by that. And he knows it. And he's a mess. But that's the exception. The rule is mothers' hearts are very much turned. They're fueled, powerfully powerfully fueled to be turned. Men aren't. Although we get a little dose of what, what do they call it? Sympathy oxy. A little sympathy oxytocin. Yeah, I like your kids. About that much. So, Malachi tells us, last words of the Old Testament, last thing God says before 400 years of silence, last thing before John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus then show up on the scene, last thing is, look, when you get turned to me, you get turned to your kids. So, cornerstone parents, we want you to be turned to the Lord your God and then turn to your kids. Well, what do you do when you turn to your kids? Well, there's a lot of other verses that will help you. Let's go to the book of Proverbs, which is a treasure chest, a treasure chest of wisdom for parents. So you go to Proverbs chapter 1, and the first seven verses are the prologue. They basically say, here's what the book's about. It's going to be about wisdom. It's going to be about understanding. It's going to be about knowledge. And then we start in at Proverbs 1.8. I'll put it up for you, and here's what you get. Hear my son your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So the assumption is dad is instructing you, and mom is teaching you, and here's, here's the word to the young one, hear it. Don't forsake it. Don't turn away. Oh, mom, she doesn't know what she's talking about. No, 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 no. Don't forsake it. Hear. Listen. Proverbs 1.8. Let's go to Proverbs 2.1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. So here's what your child looks like. All right? Their ear is attentive. Their heart is inclined. It's like, Dad, Mom, teach me. Instruct me. I want to grow wise. I want to learn. I want to be pleasing to you. And, and the proverb says, my son, if you'll do that, then it goes on, it will be well with you. So there's just so much in the Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 1 and following. Proverbs 4, 1 and following. 5, 1 following. 6, 1 following. 7, 1 and following. Let's skip a bunch. 19, 27. 23, 13. Those are two good ones. It's just a rich deposit of of biblical truth for fathers and mothers. 
So parents, you want to dig into the Proverbs. But I'm going to leave the Old Testament and take you to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, where the Apostle Paul addresses fathers. It says fathers, and I know some of your versions might read parents. Don't believe it. It's the word pater. It's dad. It's fathers. This is the responsibility of fathers. Fathers, first there's a negative, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't make them unnecessarily, that's provoking, mad. How might you do that? By the way you treat and treat and treat and treat their mother. By the way, you have one standard for one child and a different standard for another child, and one standard yesterday and a different standard today, and it's always changing, and nobody knows what the law really is. By the way, you're all work and no play and all law and no, no grace. By the way, you're all demands and no pleasure. Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't do that. That's a negative and then a positive. But bring them up. Bring them up. They're growing up. You bring them up. Bring them up. How? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You bring them up in the things of God. Fathers, you can't outsource this. The church is a big help, but you can't depend on the church. It's fathers, you're to do this. More for fathers. Go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. This is one of the ten commandments. There's only ten of them. And one of them, one of the ten, it made it into the top ten. Old Testament top ten. It's to parents. Exodus twenty twelve. Honor your father and your mother. Why? Why should I do that? There, there's a promise. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Do you want a good life? Do you want your days to be long? Here's where you start. Honor your father. Honor your mother. Paul picks this up in the New Testament and expands on it a bit, adds to it a bit. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. By the way, when the Old Testament says, honor your father and the mother, and when Paul said in the New Testament says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, the assumption is, they're not reading this and saying, oh, then I need to do that. The assumption is you're reading this and you're learning, oh, then I need to teach them to honor me. Oh, and I need to teach them to obey me. Honor your father is really to the father to teach the child. And it's so important because it sets them up for life. It's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Let me tell you a little story, personal story, about honoring your father and your mother. So I came home from work one day, and my wife, my girl, my sweetheart, my Debbie, she was crying. What's wrong, baby girl? And she told me what one of our sons said to her that day, how he treated her, how he talked to her, how he disrespected her. She told me how how he talked to her that day. 
So we had a little conference, me and that son. I kind of got in his face. I kind of read him the riot act. I don't remember what I said. Some of it was probably illegal. But I got right in his face and said, you will never speak to your mother like that again. Never. Do you hear me? And then I pulled this one on. She's my woman. She's my wife. She's my girl. I love her. You don't treat my girl that way. Do you understand me? never did it again. I think he understood. That was teaching a son to honor his mother. It's, it's the first, it, it, it's one of the Ten Commands, and the first one with a promise. It's dramatically important, but again, it's really for the parents. Isn't it interesting to observe parents in the grocery store? And kids in the grocery store. Somehow kids, they have like a switch that gets flipped. When you take them in the grocery store, they're like, okay, this is it. Let's go. Right? This is our chance to be bad. You see the worst of child depravity in the grocery store. The poor parents. Actually, they're not the poor parents. It's their fault. But they're suffering the wrath of the little tyrant in the checkout line. We were at the grocery store once when we only had two guys. One of them sitting right there. You guys were that big, you and your big brother. You were being little terrors in that grocery store. I don't know if you remember this. One of you knocked off a giant jar of pickles off the shelf and it landed on the floor and broke. We had to get the manager of the store. I'm off. I'll clean it up. No, 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 no. We'll do it. Go ahead. So we got out of there. But next time we came back, we had a little conference. Now, we're going to go in there and do this right. We went in there, and they didn't do it right. We left the shopping cart sitting where it was, out to the nine passenger, drive around back of the grocery store where nobody can see us. We, uh, we applied the Board of Education to the seat of understanding. <laughs> we never had that problem again in the grocery store. Right? By the way, parents, don't bribe them. Right? Oh, if you're good, I'll give you a can. Don't bribe them. You don't pay them for what they owe you, obedience and honor and respect. Don't bribe them. So it's vital. It's so vital. God put it in one of the, in the Ten Commandments. It's one of the ten. This is so vital for culture. It's so vital for society. It's so healthy for your kids if you want it to be well with them in the future. Teach them to honor and respect those whom God has placed in authority over them. So, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 next. A keystone passage for parents. Oh, my goodness, it's so good for parents. Hear, O Israel. The, the Hebrew word here is Shema. And so Hebrews have long called this the Shema. It's considered to be like a, a teaching tool, a catechism for parents. Hear, O Israel. And it starts with God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're monotheists. We're now Trinitarian monotheists. But the Lord is one. And let's start with your heart, mom and dad. And you shall love the Lord your God with 
all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Are you getting that? Like, that's not a little limp love. That's not a little flimsy love. That's, that's a serious love. So you start there. Your heart, you really, so much so that your kids can feel like the love of God is pulsating in my dad's soul. My mom loves Jesus more than she loves me. That would be a healthy thing for them to know. They're not at the center of your universe. God is. But you start there with your love for Christ. And then what happens next? We're still on you. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, on your heart. They weigh something. They're heavy. They're weighty. They matter in your soul. So you're full of the love of God, and his words weigh heavy upon your heart. And then he goes on to say, now we get to the kids, Deuteronomy 6, 7. Now you're ready for kids, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Diligently. Diligently. I wonder if what you're doing with your kids looks like diligently. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Well, when do I do that? I'm really busy. Oh, here's when you do it. When you, you talk to them, when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Like, no long drives where nobody's talking. I know, if you're really, really extroverted, and your kid's really, really extroverted, it might be hard. But try. So you are saturated with love for God and love for God's words, and they weigh heavy upon your heart, and you seek to raise your kids in them, educate them, train them in the context of that saturation. John Frame, a theologian, in his book, The Doctrine of the Christian Life, on page 439, in case you want to know that, writes about these Deuteronomic words, Deuteronomy words, God-centered is really too weak a term to describe this kind of education. God-saturated is more like it. Children are to grow up in an environment where they cannot avoid the Word of God. It is always there, searching them, admonishing them, instructing them in the truth. A little later he writes, It follows that everything the child learns about the world should be related to God's Word. So let's talk for a minute about educational choices. I don't take, Cornerstone as a church doesn't take, we don't take a position on which choice you should make. That's your freedom. You have Christian liberty to make your choice. There are some Christian leaders who will tell you that choice is wrong, no Christian. We don't say that. And just so you know, the Heartland kids, we did all the above. So there's public school, there's private school, there's homeschool, there's a mix of some of this and some of that and everything else. And we did all the above. And um, we're not trying to take a position or tell you. But you gotta know, you got to know something. If you decide to farm out some of your parenting, and that's what you're doing when you send them to school, they're becoming a parent that you have delegated some tasks to. All right? And if you decide to delegate some of the teaching to somebody out there, 
and you know that somebody out there is not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be sure there are some holes in that education. There are some gaps in that education. And what they're learning about, name the subject, is not getting related to a biblical worldview and the presence of God and the truth of God, and you've got to fill the gaps. Just telling you that. Not saying don't send them there, but I'm just saying recognize there might be some huge gaps that you might need to fill. But that's, that's how and where you want to raise them. So here I am at the point in life where I'm grandpa. We have 12 of them. We were just at the beach with most of those. One family couldn't make it. And one son and his wife, they told us while we were at the beach, we're hoping to have children soon. Well, that's cool. So maybe there's number 13, maybe number 14 in the works there. That's cool. And looking back on raising our kids, I think I made, I'm sure I'm, I made many mistakes. Like, I'm amazed they came out people. Uh, and I found they're very gracious. When I've gone to them and said, you know, if I could do it again, I'd do that differently. If I could do it again, I'd do that. They all go, no, Dad, you were great, man. All right, God has a big eraser and wipes things from their memory. And what I'm saying is you don't have to do it perfectly, because I sure didn't. You just have to do it substantially, because by the grace of God, I tried. Like you want to get to where I am in life and be able to look back and say, it was far from perfect, but I gave them the goods. They felt the, my heart toward God. They heard my words about God. I pointed them to the Lord Jesus all the time. And it wasn't perfect, but it was substantial. That's where you want to get when you're in my place in life. Let's go back to the kids, the title slide, please. And now I'm going to launch into what I'm calling, and it's not real long, so don't get worried, Steve's Grab Bag of Goodies for Parents. Okay? Grab Bag of Goodies for Parents. So here's good, goodie number one. When they're little... I would recommend to you, I don't have a verse for this, but I would recommend to you that your standard might be first-time cheerful obedience. That was our target. We didn't always get it. That was our target. In other words, don't train them that it's not until you're screaming that now it's time to obey. Don't train them that it's not until the fifth time and you threaten to do something, now it's time to obey. No, the standard is first-time cheerful obedience. I remember once one of them, he's sitting in his room. You can all say to him afterward, how dare you? I remember one of them wasn't looking cheerful about his obedience. His face looked very not cheerful. And I took him in the bathroom and made him look in the mirror. Look at that face! Does that look cheerful to you? First time cheerful obedience. Here's another thing to teach them. Teach them to thrive in bad circumstances because they're going to be in bad circumstances. 
Don't allow them to shift blame. Remember, it was Adam, or the woman you gave me. Your fault, her fault. Don't allow them to do that. Teach them to always take responsibility. Here's an example of how we did that. I think this is also the guy who was who's seated in this room. He came home from school one day. He's never going to come to church here again. <laughs> he came home. He came home from school one day. Got a bad grade. Well, what happened? It was the teacher. She's dumb. <laughs> it was the dumb teacher. We said, "All right, just a minute here. Now listen. Maybe you have a teacher who's dumb, but I doubt it." But let's assume for a moment you have a dumb teacher. Guess what? You have an opportunity. God has given you an opportunity. Here it is. You are in that classroom to figure out how to thrive under the tutelage of a dumb teacher. That's going to set you up for life, man. So that wherever you go, you can say, oh, I can psych this out. Oh, I can beat that. I can figure out how to make this work because that's how life's going to be. It's not the woman you gave me. It's not the dumb teacher. It's you. Here's another thing in Steve's grab bag. Please, when they're little, teach them not to whine. Teach them that whining will not get you what you want, and you'll lose more. Teach them it isn't going to go good if they whine. Ditto on steroids if they throw fits. A fit is the ultimate act of infant rebellion. They work themselves up to such a rage, it's a good thing they're helpless. They would kill you. By the way, that's the next point in the grab bag. Don't kill them. Good advice? Yeah, don't kill them. Yeah. Teach them that they are not at the center of the universe. There's one who is at the center of the universe. He's God. Guess what? You're not. You need to know him. You're here for him. Created by him, he gives you life. You're utterly dependent on him. Also, I would recommend, I don't have a verse for this, teach them. This is part of honoring your parents. Teach them that they may not interrupt adult conversation. So I'm standing here talking with Greg. I just happened to look at Greg. We're standing here talking, Greg, and my little kid runs up and says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I let them interrupt our conversation. That was rude to you. That did not honor you. My child needs to learn to recognize, oh, Dad's talking to Mr. Greg. I'll just wait. Here's what we did. It's just, it worked. Somebody suggested it. They would come up, and if we're talking, their job was to put their hand on our leg and wait. Sometimes we'd make them wait a long time. Just keep on talking, enjoying, still down there? Okay, all right. Make them wait. So they learn to respect adult conversation and control themselves. Here's another thing in my little grab bag. Don't overprotect them from pain, physical or emotional. Emotional. These fragile souls who need safe spaces where nothing can challenge their emotional equilibrium. Life is going to be hard. Life is painful emotionally and physically. Read Genesis chapter 3. To the man, pain. To the woman, pain. It's going to be pain. Habituate them to pain. Don't try to solve all their problems. 
So we had four sons and other foster sons in different times and places, and there were times when it would get physical, and I would just say, go out back. They'd go out back. Nobody ever died. It was all right. Teach them to delay gratification and love it. To love knowing that they're denying themselves now and will enjoy it later. My dad, he's 93, saw him yesterday and my mom. And he's, he's told me sometimes about when he was a kid, it was Lon near London, World War II time, and food was scarce and they were hungry. He had a number of siblings. They were, he was the little one. They'd get the food. He was hungry. But sometimes after dinner, they'd get a candy bar and they can split it up. And he'd take his piece of the candy bar and he'd watch them all eat theirs and he'd keep his. And he'd keep it and he'd keep it. And later that night he'd present it, show them all, eat it in front of them. Delayed gratification, which my dad taught well all down through the years. Finally, in my little grab bag of goodies for parents, teach them to work. Amen? Teach them to work. Give them jobs that they have to do. And you're not paying them for those jobs. Their payment is they get to live in your house. Payment is they get to eat your food. They need to contribute to their own maintenance and get them jobs when they're young. How old do you have to be to have a paper route? Do kids still do? Our kids did paper routes. You don't do that anymore. Nobody reads a newspaper anymore. <laughs> that job went away. One of our boys got a job mucking stalls. Good job. Teaches you important lessons about life. Like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Right? So I'm going to draw this little series to a close here. What an opportunity we have as a church. God and his goodness has given us a pile of children that we get, we get to teach them the word of God. We get to present them with the gospel, the claims of Jesus Christ on their souls. And their parents are ultimately responsible for them under God. But we're part of the community that the parents have enlisted to help them in this most noble task. I'm encouraging you to love the kids of this church. To even to be willing to volunteer and serve to minister to the kids and to their families. On the way home from the Outer Banks, late Friday night, it's a long ride home in a pickup truck. Debbie was telling me about she was a girl and what they did in Sunday school class and how Miss So-and-so was a teacher and they did thus and such. She's still remembering these people that ministered to her outside of her family in the context of her church and it meant so much to her. You have that opportunity here to love on some parents and love on some kids and serve. So I'm calling you to and I'm calling you parents to the standards of the Word of God in raising your kids.
So now pray with me, please. Father, thank you for giving the little ones that you have to this church. We pray that you encourage the hearts of those who are waiting for a little one. Would you uphold them with your everlasting arms and give them grace. But we pray that as we are a great commission church, that you will help us to carry out the great commission with our kids. Help us to lead many of them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, send your Holy Spirit into the hearts of our young ones. Turn them. Turn them to yourself. Then turn them to their fathers. Turn the fathers to the children. We pray in the name of Jesus.